Live from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the Campfire Cafe on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. Cafe. That's Williamson Branch and their great song, Blue Moon Over Texas, from Nashville, Tennessee. I'm your host, Gary Holt, and joining me in Albuquerque, New Mexico, is our co-host, Miss Bobby Bell. Good morning, Bobby. (laughs) Good morning. I can still be a jingle bell today because it is snowing outside, and it may snow all day and all tonight and into tomorrow. Oh, wow. How much, accumulation? <laughs> How much accumulation well, do you think you're going to have? Well, you know, I didn't watch the news last night, so I don't really know. The flakes are really, really big right now. Um, I'm sure up in the higher elevations, you know, it would probably be a lot more than here. But um, just to look out and see it is just so darn pretty, you know. <laughs> well, I'm glad it's there and not here in Nashville. So <laughs> I think I, I mentioned before the show started, we were 70 yesterday. And we've dropped down to 54 high today, and then by the time that we get to Monday or Tuesday, it's going to be about 30. So, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not going to rain or snow, so that's a that's a good thing. That is a good mm-hmm. thing. My horses, my horses are much happier when there's no snow on the ground, and I am they- too. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. yeah. 
But anyway, glad to have you back this week. We missed you. You were at Wessa last week up in Denver. I I was. I listened to the to uh, both shows though. Of course, you know, terrific. And um, if you missed them, um, to our listeners, go back and listen to um, Doris and Mike Merritt uh, last week. And remind me. Oh yes. Um, and then we had uh, Tammy Pate's daughter on for our Mesa? Chicago girl. Yeah, Mesa. Mesa. Yeah. 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 And then and then Robert uh, Eversole joined us. And then Robert. Uh, I miss I miss not being on with Robert. We always have such a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> Oh uh, gosh! Well, the Trailmeister is always fun, and uh, and last week was as well. Mesa Pate was on. She kind of sat in for Mama Tammy, and the Art mm-hmm. of the Cowgirl is taking place in Phoenix next weekend. Next so you weekend. don't want to miss you don't want to miss Art of the Cowgirl if you're anywhere around Phoenix. And uh, then, of course, the week before we had Alex Capert who is the executive director of Mustang Heritage Foundation and their big event, Mustang uh, Extreme Mustang Makeover, and the Mustang Magic is taking place next weekend in Fort Worth. So plenty of activity out there in the West uh, next week. So wish I were going to be out there. Wish I were going to be out there. (laughs) But we have plenty of activity today. On the Western Legacy Radio Network, on the Campfire Cafe, who's our first guest? Terry Nash is standing by. You know, what a gentleman. I had the privilege of meeting him in 2018 and again at the IWMA in 2019. And just have been he's been on my bucket list a long time to get him on this show. So looking forward to talking with Terry. Well, we're going to have a good time visiting with Terry and then on Saddle Up America, uh, a good friend of ours is coming back for her third time, and that's Miss Trina Morris. And uh, she operates Trina Morris Horsemanship all across the United States and Canada. So uh, always a fun time visiting with her. So it's going to be a great second show of January 2020. I can't believe that half the month <laughs> of the new decade is already gone. Can you? I no, I can't. I, it was just the first, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, time, time, time just goes so fast when you get to be my age. What till you get to be my age, Bobby? You'll see what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I hear that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But it's anyway, we're gonna have fast a, at my age too. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have a great time visiting with Terry Nash, and we're gonna do that when we come back. But right now, let's listen to a great poem that he did called "Riding," and it is from the CD "A Good Ride." When we return, we'll be talking with Terry Nash today on the Campfire Cafe. There are some that like the city: grasses curried smooth and green, theaters and strangling collars. Wagons run by gasoline. But for me, it's hoss and saddle. Every day without a change in a desert sun a-blazing on a hundred miles of range and riding, riding. Desert rippling in the sun, mountains blue along the skyline. Oh, I don't envy anyone when I'm riding. When my feet is in the stirrups and my hoss is on the bust and his hoofs are flashing lightning from a cloud of golden dust. And the bawling of the cattle is a-coming down the wind. Then a finer life than riding would be mighty hard to find. Just a riding, riding, splitting long cracks through the air, stirring up a baby cyclone, ripping up the prickly pears. I'm riding. 
Oh, I don't need no art exhibits when the sunset's done her best, painting everlasting glory on the mountains to the west. And your Opry looks so foolish when the night bird starts his tune. And the desert's silver mounted by the touches of the moon, and I'm riding, riding. Who can envy kings and czars when the coyotes down the valley are singing to the stars? If he's riding. When my earthly trail is ended, my final bacon curled, and the last great roundup's finished at the home ranch of the world. I don't want no harps nor halos, robes nor other dressed up things. Let me ride the starry ranges on a pinto hoss with wings, just riding, riding. Nothing I'd like half so well as rounding up the sinners that have wandered out of hell and riding. Welcome back to the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network and the award-winning Campfire Cafe. We just heard Ryden, performed by today's featured guest, Terry Nash. Raised on a farm, ranch cow, calf operation on the high plains of Colorado, Terry Nash's lifetime career of working to pay for his cow habit caused him to drift to a small ranch near Loma, Colorado. Inspired by his lifetime of work with horses and cattle, as well as the heritage of ranching, Terry writes of the life he knows and recites favorites of those like Bruce Cascadden, S. Omar Barker, Charles Badger Clark, and others. Never passing up a chance to say something, Terry performs his poetry and classics for gatherings wherever folks will listen. Rick Huff, reviewer of music and poetry CDs for the International Western Music Association's quarterly publication, Western Way, has this to say about his work. Terry Nash is, beyond a doubt, one of the best cowboy poets writing or delivering today. I have always found his releases to be worth both your time and investment. In fact, the IWMA named Terry Nash the 2018 Male Poet of the Year, and his CD, Riding, or um, his CD, A Good Ride, was honored with the 2018 Poetry CD of the Year. Please welcome to Campfire Cafe, a gentleman honored with his own official Terry Nash Day, the award-winning cowboy poet and our friend, Terry Nash. Welcome, Terry. <laughs> well, good morning, Bobby. How are you? Hey, Terry. Hi, Grand. <laughs> Hello, Gary. Good to have you with us. Oh, I'm tickled to be here. Just, just real pleased to do this. Been looking forward to it. <laughs> well, you are at one of the most famous cowboy poetry gatherings in the country. So where are you today? I am in Golden, Colorado. I'm here to, to perform in the Colorado Cowboy Poetry Gathering. It so is this a good one. Is this uh, is this your first time, or have you been there several times? No, I've been here several times in the past, and always look forward to coming back. They 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 do a lot of changing up, and so you're you're uh, going to get to work with people maybe you hadn't seen in a while before. So, so these folks that you don't see very often <clears throat> have sent me messages all week on Facebook where they wanted to call in and hassle you. And yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I said, well, I could be bought, but nobody volunteered to pay me. So they, they're just going to have to sit there and listen <laughs> to you today. 
<laughs> well, whatever they offer to pay you, I'll double that. So just keep them off. Oh, <laughs> uh, gosh. So I'm always interested in finding out how people started their careers as either poets or singer-songwriters. So when did you get started with your poetry, Terry? Oh, gosh. You know, I was inspired by the life, I guess. But uh, I always tell this story in about 1981, I was driving a truck for a living, and I stopped in a little uh, place called Fort Collins, Colorado. It was little then, and uh, I had to stay in the in the Holiday Inn overnight. And I walked in the bar just to get a. It's probably an iced tea I was going to have, and <laughs> and uh, anyhow, there was this cowboy sitting up on a stage all by himself, and and he had his guitar and he was singing songs and. I got to listening, and he was singing the stuff that my dad used to sing, and he brought things back, brought that cowboy stuff back to me, and and uh, I sit down. He had a little had a boot there, said tips on it, and I threw a couple bucks in there, and he says, "What do you want to hear?" And I says, "I'd like to hear you play all night." And it turned oh, wow. out to be, and it, it was Gary McMahon. I had never heard of Gary oh. McMahon before, <laughs> and uh, he'd never sure enough heard of me, but. But anyhow, he started playing uh, the old songs, like I mentioned, and a lot of stuff that he'd written. And I realized, you can write about this stuff. You, you can write about the life. He, and, uh, boy, that just rang a bell for me. It just turned on the light bulb. And and, uh, and I just started hearing this cowboy poetry everywhere and realizing I was behind the curve. I needed to catch up and so I guess I've been writing and reciting ever since. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, Gary was a good one to get you started. I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. And uh, might as well mention Gary actually started the Colorado Cowboy Poetry Gathering before he turned yeah. it over to Liz Masterson years ago. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So where was the first place that you ever actually performed your poetry? Hmm. I guess that would have been in Grand Junction, Colorado. At the, at the Grand Junction, it was one of the earliest Grand Junction cowboy poetry gatherings back in the back in the early nineties, I guess. So, any nerves? <laughs> no, not a bit. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, gosh. Uh, so, well, um, you. You write a lot of uh, your own original work, but you also, of course, recite some of the classics. Um, can I just ask, where does the inspiration come for your original poems, Terry? Oh, gosh, it just comes from the life. It comes from from uh, working on the mountain on a good horse, moving cattle or, or you know, working on the ranch. And it, it's just amazing where, where some... Uh, some inspirations come from uh, you. You uh, may Gary made a on that a good ride. You might have heard my poem, Blurred Vision, and that is mm-hmm. a true yeah. story. And it's it's all about manure. And so you can <laughs> yeah, you know we're a sophisticated lot these cowboy poets and and, uh, and uh, you know an opportunistic. I'll, I'll jump on anything to write a poem about it. Uh, I guess. <laughs> They're talking about blurred vision. I believe I got behind one of those trailers the other day back here in Tennessee. So, 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I want to get to one of the other poems that you did, and this one is called Cowman's Lot. Uh, anything you want to tell us about this one? Yeah, this is uh, this is taken from the life. I I co-wrote this one with uh, Mike Muto. Mike Muto's down in Silver City, New Mexico, and and uh, he and I put this one together. It's uh, mostly about about the experiences I've had cabin out heifers, and and so anyhow, it's it's one of my favorite poems. I I rarely do a cowboy poetry gathering without reciting Cowman's Lot. All right, well, let's take a listen to it and come back and talk more with Terry Nash when we return on the Campfire Cafe. Well, it's cabin season on our range, and though some might think it's strange, it's my favorite time of year. For there's this vocal talk from cow to calf. She's speaking up on his behalf, saying things to him that he should hear. It's a scene just witnessed once a year, that quiet lowing that you hear desponding calf to cow. She's talking to him all the while, she's licking him clean, mother style. I smile to think of it now. It's a dialogue I'll not tire of, the sweet, pure sounds of a mother's love. So listen to this story of a first calf heifer, and a rancher who has two on the ground at the end of the day, and a heifer waiting for night. Front's moving in with the clouds thick and gray, and her bag's getting swollen and tight. Still in the saddle where he'd been all day, no one sure tonight things would freeze. He looked at the clouds like folks do when they pray. Lord, what makes them pick nights like these? Well, he hazed her out from the rest of the cows and into a dry cabin pen. Scattered straw he'd save for times such as now in a shelter out of the wind. Unsettled and restless, the young cow paced. He'd seen this in cabin before. She'd delay if he remained in her space. He backed off and gave her some more. Though the first flakes to fall were wet and wide-spaced. It's a warning, for soon they fell quicker. Wind and dark were neck and neck as they raced, and the cowboy pulled on his slicker. He thought of supper, a wife who'd worry. She'd watch for his truck at the gate. And he was a heifer no man could hurry, and decided supper could wait. You see, most cowmen at the end of the day would likely reflect on this spot. He asked for this job, and it weren't for the pay. It's the love of a cowman's lot. Till the temperature dropped, snow turned now to ice, stung his face like splendors of glass. Through squinted eyes, he watched the cow circle twice and then take a place in the grass. She laid down and pushed, then stood up and strained, two circles, then back in the grass. One foot was glimpsed, but she stood up again and looked his way, and the moment passed. Billy turned to his chores to get out of sight, reminded she needed her space. This labor could last plumb into the night, and nothing would quicken the pace. Lee fed all the horses, rode monks to cows, using time he knew she required. He rode back when finished to check on her now, and hoping she wasn't too tired. Two feet now emerged where just one had shown. She labored her calf to expel. The cow then uttered a low, quiet moan and stretched out to rest for a spell. But in five more minutes, a small head appeared. Meantime, the mercury's fallen. The calf was soon out, but the rancher then feared didn't need help or death would be calling. But the heifer's up. She's inspecting her work. Soft lowing, she battled the cold. Nuzzled and licked, the calf shivered and jerked, and the man marveled as instincts took hold. 
She licked the cast clean. He tried out new feet, nosediving plumb into the ground. He then got a taste of mother's milk sweet and latched onto the spigot he'd found. The man grinned to hear the smack of wet lips. Knew the calf was getting his meal. Inner warmth would soon spread from nose plumb to hips, and mom's rough tongue would seal the deal. Steward of cattle, of his birthright and land, he'd not think of quitting this spot. He's there, if needed, to lend her a hand, the best friend this young cow's got. Jerry Nash, A Cowman's Lot from the CD, A Good Ride. And you all need to have this in your CD library because <laughs> it's so entertaining. So, Terry, um, you know, I, I am all hat and no cattle. Um, wouldn't have the faintest notion even how to write about these kinds of situations. Do you find that most of the the, the folks that are performing cowboy poetry really are from, you know, deep roots in the agriculture or ranching tradition, or can you just kind of come in and, and wing it? What would you say? Oh, you know, I, I, I think for the most part, you can't fake it. It's, it's cowboy poetry. You got to know a little bit something about, about the life yourself. And that isn't to me to say that some folks haven't come in and, and just picked up cowboy poetry and, and done well with it. Heck, Henry Herbert Nibs wasn't a cowman. Look at all the poems he wrote. Great poetry. Mm-hmm. And and so, it, yeah, I I wouldn't be able to do it if I didn't know about it, if, if I hadn't hadn't had the experiences I've had. But, mm-hmm. anyhow. Because that, that piece that we just heard, A Cowman's Lot, is it's like uh, watching um well, a series of paintings or um, a vid- you can you can just see everything that's happening. Your words are so painterly; they're so descriptive um, and yeah. yet concise. Yeah. You don't over labor it, which makes it very easy, I think, to listen to. Um, when you put a piece like that together, like how long did that kind of you know what was the process of putting that particular piece together? Oh, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Mike Buteau, as I mentioned, he, he sent me, he emailed me a couple of lines. He says, uh, you know, two on the ground. You take it from here. You you write the next <laughs> line. And, and so I did. And, uh, you know, I, I just took off. I set the tone. And then we started trading back and forth. I'd write a line and he'd write a line. And, and we'd, you know, kind of morph into something from one of the one of the things one of us had written and and it was kind of a long process and Mike was much quicker than I was at responding with a line. I'm a little mm-hmm. bit slow on the take sometimes. And so it lasted maybe six months. And we oh, we'd wow. had that poem we'd had the poem mostly written. And finally Mike sent me an email and he says, You know, I'm gonna bow out. I'm gonna check it to you. You know more about this life than I do and I need you to finish this poem. It's a, it's a good one. Just finish it. But he says, do us all a favor and try to get it done before that heifer dies of old age. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, gosh. Uh, so anyhow, but it, you know, that what you said, Bobby, that's a, that's a high compliment. If, if I can paint a picture, if I can 
take somebody in their mind and and show them, let them see in their mind what I'm talking about. That's a pretty high compliment to pay a poet. Well, that is a great and compliment. So, so many of us that don't, it doesn't automatically jump to our mind. We really need you to lead us, you know, because we don't have the hands-on experience of ever having witnessed, you know, what you're, um, what you're telling us about. So it's like you write for those that know, but you also write for those that don't know. And one of the things that, that I keep in mind, especially when I'm performing live, I've got an audience of people out there. A lot of them are, you know, in, in their uh, retirement ages, and maybe mm-hmm. they've not been around the life in a couple of decades. It might have been a long time way back when they were raised on Grandpa's farm. Mm-hmm. And if, if I can awaken memories, if I can stand up there and, and recite a poem and I see people out there nodding and smiling yeah. and maybe mm-hmm. see a tear in their eye, I figure, that's, I figure my job's been well done then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It has been. Yeah. It has been. Yeah. Well, not every poem is uh, quite as serious as A Cowman's Lot. This next one that we're going to get to is one that maybe is not quite as serious, and it's called Ford's Snake Attack. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was written by a good buddy of mine, Donnie Winecoop. He, he claims it's a true story, so... That's all I'll say. Well, let's take a listen to Ford's Snake Attack and come back and talk more with Terry on the Campfire Cafe. Now, jealousy is a powerful thing. It's related to love and to hate. And I'm sorry to say it comes into play in this story I'm about to relate. Me and Earl's feeling mighty green about Big Ed's new pickup truck. It seems he got himself a settlement. And like true friends, we cursed his luck. Well... He said he'd take us off for a ride, but don't drink or chew or smoke. And for dang sure, don't get no manure on his precious power stroke. Well, my old Dodge keeps on running, except for the heater motor which died. The frame is jacked and the windshield's cracked, but only on the driver's side. The speedometer quit working a long time ago, but I don't mind much anymore. If I want to know my road speed, I just count highway lines through the hole in the floor. Old baling wire holds the battery in, and I trust that the rust won't corrode. Holds the window up and keeps out the wind and the tailpipe from hitting the road. Now, in the pickup pecking order of things, Eddie's new truck is mighty fine. But I can still feel superior, because Earl's is much worse than mine. Well, the three of us went hunting bobwhite quail one day, and by mistake, Earl killed a snake while Ed was off and away. He coiled up the poor dead garter snake on the seat of Eddie's truck and then gently tied some fishing line around the snake's head just for luck. Then dallied off to the handle of the driver's window crank and pulled up the slack for a snake attack in a downright perfect prank. See, Big Ed stands over six feet. In a fight, he's got what it takes. He's muscle and mean, his temper is obscene, but he's just plain scared of snakes. Now, not to be outdone and to join in the fun, I set the stage with a lie, short and sweet. Big Ed, I'm awful sorry. My dog tracked mud on your new seat. Well, lacking all compunction, Ed swore, jerked the door and dropped his coat, and then lost every bodily function as that snake jumped straight for his throat. 
Now, I suppose we all wonder in that moment when we're called upon if the hero within will rise and thunder or will tuck her tail and be gone. Freeze-framed was that moment of silence, then lost in a deafening roar. We forgot Big Ed had his shotgun. Gone was the seat and the snake and the door. We all stared around in horror at the carnage we'd just wrought, and then it was Earl broke the silence, saying, Ed, what a heck of a shot! Well, you'll probably go down in history. The snake saga from this day begins. And I'm thanking the Lord you killed your new Ford just to save our worthless old skins. As I was trying to stop Eddie sobbing and thank him for saving my life, Earl removed all telltale fishing line with the flick of his hunting knife. The insurance sprung for the seat in the door, and Big Ed's a hero in town. And no refurbished, the truck's just not new anymore, so we're happy to have it around. Go back, go back, go back to what I said about being able to write about anything. Yeah, (laughs) there's there's just there's just no barriers in this cowboy poetry world. Oh, that is so cute. So, how do you go about (laughs) selecting poetry for an award-winning album like A Good Ride? How do you go about with your selections? Oh gosh, I don't. I just started. I didn't even think I had enough to do another CD and a good friend of mine that had to had his uh, recording studio there in Grand Junction, Colorado. He, he got a hold of me and he says, Hey, I'm I'm about to move. I'm going to shut down my business, but I'll give you a discount if we do one more. And so I put together a list and my gosh, I come up with enough of them. And, and uh, I had some favorites, some of the classics on there that I recite and, and like that snake attack from Donnie's. And so, it didn't really take much to put together 12 or 13 good tracks. Oh, uh, that's great. That is great. Yeah, I can imagine uh, people sitting out in the audience listening to you to do that and, and nodding their head because they've been there, done that. None of them like snakes. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I like the line about, like, all good friends, you know, he um, whatever that line is that, you know, you're, you're, you're – yeah. Yeah, like, oh, we're so happy, happy, happy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So uh, when when are you performing at uh, Golden this time? Uh, Well, we're going to start this evening. We've got a little bit of a show. All of us are going to, I think there's 16 performers in it. We have a number of pieces, and then... um, then we'll start within in some day stations tomorrow, starting about noon, I think, and and then I'm I'm emceeing the night show tomorrow night. Oh yes, great! And what a and we'll do, what a what a lineup you have tomorrow night to emcee, Terry. Oh guys, yeah, it's going to be fun. I can tell jokes, and and uh, those, those people are going to have to be nice to me if I, you know, if I'm going to be introducing them. So. <laughs> Thatch Elmer, um, what a what a terrific young young poet. He, I guess, he's not. He's growing up. He's probably not such a young young um, poet anymore. But he's yep. delightful. And you've got one of that, our favorites, yeah. Gary Doris Daly. Yeah. Um, part of the lineup tomorrow night and the High Country Cowboys. Wow, what oh, a boy. what a group yeah. for tomorrow night. A, yeah. It is a classy lineup, and I have to say. Thatch, you know, he started out as a as a little kid 
what, four mm-hmm. or five, six years ago. And mm-hmm. uh, I'll tell you, I saw him at, uh, just last summer at uh, Prescott, I think it was. Uh, and gosh, he's a, he's grown up. He's 16, 17 oh. years old now. And, and he <laughs> has really polished up his, his cowboy poetry delivery. He's, he's very good at what he does. It's obvious yeah. he's been doing a lot of work. Yeah. It's exciting well, he's, you know, neat young in, man. In the, in, I was just going to say that in music, we we see some, you know, youngsters um, growing into their full potential. And it's so exciting to see in cowboy poetry um, so many youth that are coming in and just loving it. And it, yeah. that's just great for the longevity of, of the genre. Yeah. And, and I, I do think about that a lot, Bobby. You know, as I said, I look at my audiences and, and uh, you know, the big majority of them have got the same color gray hair that I got. And yeah. I, I sometimes, you know, I sometimes wonder how long is this going to last? And then somebody like Thatch Elmer comes along or, or somebody like Kristen Harris. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the youngsters that with so much talent, they're coming along and they're going to keep this alive. It's mm-hmm. It's going to. It's going to stay, and I'm sure pleased about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, gosh. Well, it, it was kind of cool. I, um, uh, Thatch was like a lot of young people, like I was. I was kind of a pudgy young guy. And uh, and then I grew up some and stretched out and thinned up, and the same thing has happened with Thatch. I mean, I, oh, yeah. I was looking, and I thought, my gracious, he's getting tall and slender and, and looking like a man. You know, yep. growing up, yep. growing up. But um want to get to another poem. This one is called December Stragglers. And uh, can you share something about this one with us? Yeah, this is the culmination of several rides I have made. We we run our cattle up on the mountain from June until November up above Grand Junction. And, and uh, you know, we let the weather chase us out. It, when the snow starts moving in, the, the cattle know the old veteran cows they know to come down and but you always have to ride in and, and look for the the ones that don't want to come out yet or or the the youngsters that don't know the way and so you're always up there sweeping cleaning cleaning the remnant out of your pasture and and so this poem December Stragglers came from uh, as I say the culmination of several rides up there. All right, well, let's take a listen to December Stragglers, and we're going to come back and talk more with Terry Nash today. Morning's pale sun gave way to thick clouds as we all saddled our mounts. Riding from camp, our mission today is needing to fill the count. 310 was gathered last month. The tally was 16 shy. We rode the brakes and benches for sign, no telling how they've got by. Two solid weeks we searched the J.U., combing the brush for eight pair, with little to show for our riding, except that the stragglers weren't there. Those cattle were nowhere on our range. They'd maybe returned to Hell's Hole, high country grass they'd grazed since July, till fall storms started to roll. We gathered three pair and one hunter a hoofing it into town, but we're still ten head out today and the next big storm's blowing down. We're bucking a headwind this morning, five riders watching for a sign. 
The lasalles are fading from her view and the wind's beginning to whine. We walter deep drifts up toward the 2V, following old Rayleigh's hunch. This new storm will bring him down, he said. We'll likely find a whole bunch. The gates was left open all through the range so stragglers could pass on through. Veteran cows will know to move down when winter dictates they do. The clouds were hanging, level and dark. Rayleigh was setting the pace. We topped out above Luster Basin, the first flakes hitting my face. Jackson pulled up his horse and pointed at our stragglers, single file, tails to the wind, and stringing our way down the draw a quarter mile. Wild old snort was leading the bunch, and we split and got out of sight. We'll swing in behind and then flank them, providing their timings right. The cattle filed past and we stepped out, snort through her head, flinging snot. But Jess was ready when she quit the trail and he turned her back at a trot. The old Rip knew where she's going. She and the rest reached the pines and she led them on through and out on the road with us just riding behind. The storm at our backs now, we're riding with wet, heavy flakes flying past. Our slickers are dripping, our horses are soaked, and we're hoping our luck will last. Past Mountain Island, down off Black Hill, she struck the trail to the north where the Beezer Corral stood waiting. Two flank riders sashayed forth to get in position to turn them, but old Snort just walked on in. We backed in the trucks and trailered them just as the lights getting thin. That's usually never that easy. You mostly earn what you bring, but we got lucky. Our stragglers found us in winter's cold, icy state. December Stragglers, that's Terry Nash, and that one is from the CD, A Good Ride. Uh, Terry, why why do we have to work cattle in all this cold weather all the time? I was just thinking... (laughs) I was just I was just listening to that and uh and then I was thinking about um birth and calves and so many calves are born in January. You know, it's like what about July or yeah. August, you know? Well that you know that that doesn't fit the cycle. You know, it's it's a business. We need our cattle we need our calves born uh in early winter so that by the time fall comes around, they're going to be ready to market. They'll be up they're ready to market six, seven hundred mm-hmm. pounds, and and so that's just kind of the way the calendar dictates. Oh it, gosh! It, but, and mm-hmm. to be sure, it's not always cold, but there's a lot of times you're riding when you wish you were in the house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know Bobby mm-hmm. just sat there and was thinking, man, I sure would like to be out riding the range, bringing in those December stragglers. <laughs> Uh-huh. No. <laughs> uh, I like gosh. listening to it. <laughs> you like listening to somebody else do it. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Um, I wanted to uh, kind of switch gears for just a moment because I think it's so important to just comment on your your final awards. May, may there be many more in the future? But I think had you been nominated like six times, Terry? In the past, oh, by yeah. the International Western Music Association. Yeah, I was and... starting to feel like Susan Lucci. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
So um, that night in 2018, uh, when your name was called, tell us a little bit, and twice, tell us a little bit about how that felt and what you thought about. Oh, you know, I really hadn't figured I was going to win. I was, I was grouped in a in a group of five excellent poets. Uh, you know, Floyd Beard had just the last two years had swept the, the award, and and there was Tom Swearingen, and there was Dwayne Nelson, and and guys. I just figured, well, I'm nominated, and it's sure swell to be with these guys. And I. So when they called my name, I kind of froze. I I couldn't get out of the chair. And I swear, <laughs> Dwayne, Dwayne Nelson was sitting right behind me. And if you've met Dwayne, Bobby, he's, yes. he's about uh-huh. twice twice my size. And I swear <laughs> he picked me up from the by the scruff of my neck and stood me on my feet and pushed me towards the stage. And <laughs> otherwise, I'd probably still be sitting there, but it. Anyhow, I, I sure was shocked, and and after that, you know, they send you off the stage and you have your picture taken, and and so when I did that, I was out of the room and I I uh, called my wife and I was hooting and hollering and we're crying and you know laughing on the phone and I keep getting these messages and I'm thinking, <laughs> leave me alone, I'm talking to my wife, and. So finally, when I hung up, I looked at a couple of the texts, and it says, get back in here. <laughs> well, I'd forgotten I was nominated for that, for a good ride for the cowboy, for the CD of the year. Yeah. And uh, they called my name, and I wasn't in the room. Yeah, and I remember. So It was kind of, yeah, yeah go ahead. No, yeah, finish the story. <laughs> so, so good. Well, yeah, <laughs> Teresa Burleson was going to, she and Donna Hatton, I think, were going to give me the award, and. Teresa said they called my name and and it was like crickets out there and nothing, <laughs> nope. <laughs> it was silent. <laughs> nothing happened. <laughs> oh my gosh! And they hunted uh, all over for me and anyhow, it was a lot of fun. It made for some good memories. Uh, well, I, I, re- I remember that um, you know Gary and I had been honored with the DJ Radio Show Award, and yeah. so I had just had my picture taken when you appeared. And I, I don't know if, if that was for the first award or the second, but I know that that I felt as I looked at you that you were as knock kneed and and unbelieve, sort of unbelieving it all as I as I was with. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> with our award. Yeah, I really was. <laughs> and I think maybe I was back in the um, audience when when they were went looking, you know, when they went looking for you. So. I, I yeah. do remember that was quite a night. That was quite a night. <laughs> well, Don, Donna Hatton told me later on that they were looking. They split up. She and Teresa did, and and she was in the hall to the east side of that room, and she stuck her head in the men's restroom, and she said in my deepest voice, "I said, is Terry Nash in there?" <laughs> <laughs> and she said some guy answered her and said, well, I could be him. <laughs> and uh, she turned around funny. and skedaddled before the guy came out. And <laughs> well, but anyway, I, did know, I did notice this year they worked um, when they did the, you know, when they did the schedule for the evening, you could sort of see that there were spaces, you know, that they planned it better if somebody was nominated for more than one award. There was 
time, you know, there was more time in between them. And I, oh, so I yeah. think there was a couple of lessons that were learned from 2018. <laughs> so that's probably going to come, come to be known as the Terry Nash effect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, let's do another Terry Nash effect. And this is a great poem that was uh, uh, written by Buck Ramsey. And this is one called oh, Bad yeah. Job. We'll be back and we'll yeah. talk with Terry some more on the Campfire Cafe. And if you see me sitting sorrowful, all busted and stove up, you wonder how a puncher gets that way? I can tell you at the start off to avoid all work of ground if you rope and ride a horseback for your pay. Oh, it's all right to shoe your horses and to braid and mend your tack. All that work of ground that keeps you in the saddle. But your mind gets misdirected if you try your hand at chores beneath stomping out the Bronx and punching cattle. Now and then, old Major Domo, he'd come rouse me during slack and suggest I patch his roof or plow his garden or do some post hole digging or go scale some tall windmills. But I always tells him, please, I begs your pardon. But it so happened that one Sunday, I was early in from town and was holding down the bunkhouse all alone. When the boss, he done convinces me if that I'd pull one chore, tacking hackers next day to be quicker done. Now all them shoes are in a whiskey barrel up in the barn hayloft, standing right beside that hayloft pulley door. Though it took its fight to hoist them up, I, I figure it's coming down all that gravity's worth them four men more. Well, I'm nowhere near a horse, so it makes good sense to me. I dons my shaps and spurs and gets my rope. Then I ambles to the barn up the ladder to the loft, thinking I can get this job done in a lope. So I straps a big old jug knot tie around that whiskey barrel, runs the rope out through the pulley to the ground. Then I delicately balances that barrel on the edge and rushes out to gently let her down. Well, I runs the rope around my tail, takes a hitch in front to control the downward progress of the barrel. Then I gives a jerk that tilts that barrel out the hayloft door. And that's the insult that begins our little quarrel. See, that barrel of horseshoes had to weigh a good 400 pounds, more than twice that I would weigh all wet and dressed. So when I tell you that my rope hitch hitched and slipped up underarm, I figure you can guess most of the rest. I plumb parts with earth quite suddenly, a blasting for the sky, but I meets that barrel about halfway up the barn. Now this racket slows my progress some, but it ain't slowed for long, for I'm heading for that pulley and yard arm. And when that barrel hits the bottom and my poor head hits the top and it rings that pulley like a midway gong where those fellers swing the hammers for to show off with the girls, well, you might think this wreck is over now, but you'd be wrong. See, the crashing of that old stave barrel weighed down with all that steel caused the bottom to bust out and dump its load. So I'm plummeting from heaven now at about the speed of sound and I'm speeding on a dangerous dead-end road. But that devil barrel it slaps me blind and sideways one more time as it flies up and I'm a-crashing down. Then, you'd think this stubborn accident would be about played out when it breaks a few more bones upon the ground, but no. The rope goes slack, the hitch unhitches, and I lie gazing up. Then I close my eyes and gives me up for dead. 
Because the last thing that I see before I wake's all splinted up is that cusset barrel coming for my head. <laughs> Isn't that a great story? I love it. I love it. I think the first time I heard that was uh, Andy Hedges had it on one of his CDs, and I just absolutely yeah. cracked up. I cracked up. But, uh, uh, so he does a heck of a good job with that pool. Well, he does. He does, as do yeah. you. Um, so your audiences, uh, what do they respond to more, the serious stuff or the humorous stuff? Or some No, of I think – People want to laugh, to be sure. Uh, I, I always try to throw in some humorous stuff, but people are there because they love cowboy poetry, and the serious stuff is well-received. Yeah. So I, I, I mix it up as best I can, and, and, I, and I make sure and bring some classics along with my, my other stuff because, you know, there's a lot of – there's a world of uh, classic cowboy poetry out there, and I, I don't want to let that stuff linger. It needs to needs to stay alive. Who is your Who is your Do you have a favorite uh, of the classics? Do you have a favorite poet? Oh golly, I, you know you you just can't not say Bruce Cascadden. Mm-hmm. And but then as quick as you say that, you think, oh you know, gosh, Badger Clark and. And then Henry Herbert Nibs and and uh, Carlos Ashley and and Larry McCorder and Floyd Beard. Oh well, you can't yeah. see classic yet about Floyd, but but yeah, there's well, he's, he's a classic. There. He's becoming classic. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, but you know, uh, I always have to pay tribute to to CowboyPoetry.com. You can. Mm-hmm. Go on there and find so much classic poetry and so much, you know, current poetry, uh, new stuff that that the the current poets are putting out. And and uh, Margot Medigrano does is a great so job good about keeping. Oh, she does. She does a great job. She's the cowboy poet's best friend. Yeah, yeah. I always appreciate the fact that she always uh, adds a lot of cowboy poetry in her post on Facebook. And it's such a pleasure to go through and read the old poems and then to read the uh, biographies of the of the poets that have, have done them. And uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So kudos, Margot. Thank you very much for yep. doing what you do. Yep. Oh gosh! So, Bobby, you got a question for Floyd? Um, do I have a question for Floyd? Uh, let me see. I I think he's answered most all of the things that I have had made a a point of saying. I I did want to just comment on Buck Ramsey because um, it was a, it was a performance of Buck's that was the first time that I heard cowboy poetry. And um, and so I think so often as we allow ourselves to to learn about a new genre, Don Edwards was the first person I heard with Western music. So, um, and I remember Buck um, on stage in his wheelchair and um, had such an unusual voice, a captivating voice. And I just remember sitting in that audience and going, what am I, what, what is this? Who is this? What am I listening to? And it sort of, he, you know, he opened the door for me. So who, um, you were saying that, um, 
in the very beginning, the first person you heard was um, Gary. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I, um, so you, do you imagine as you look out at an audience that, you know, there could be some folks that haven't really heard this and, and I'm, they may be hearing for the first time from me. Do you ever think about that? And, and, um, and what does that, does that have any impact on what you decide to, to do for, you know, what you're going to do this weekend, the pieces that you're going to recite this weekend? Yeah, if, you know, there's there's certain pieces. If I've got a room full of of uh, people that that haven't heard cowboy poetry before, yeah, I'm sure to bring out classics like Briscus Cadence when they finish shipping cattle in the fall, or or Badger Clark's Riding that you guys played for me just a little bit ago. I, I there's so much good stuff, and it's so gratifying to me. And I do my own stuff for that same audience, and it's so gratifying that when they, you know, come up afterwards after the show is over and they say, "I didn't know this existed. I'd never heard yeah. this before. This is great." Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I figured, well, okay, I, I just, I just earned my nickel here. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's kind of like mm-hmm. uh, you listen to Gary McMahon do his deal sitting in that bar that night drinking your tea. Uh, and the lights, the lights went on for you. So you never know whether there's another Terry Nash sitting out in the audience that's going to be affected Mm -hmm. by what you've got to, got to say and the way that you have to say it. So I think that is, I think that's pretty cool. We're keeping, keeping the West and the heritage alive through these cowboy poetry gatherings. Good Judy James yeah. line right there, keeping that Western James heritage alive. So, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So tell us about Bear Rope and Buckaroo. Oh, you know, um, I just drew, drew a blank on who wrote that's a that's a S. Omar Barker poem um, that I really I put it on um, put it on December stragglers in there. Boy, you. Kind of threw me a curve, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right. It's S. Omar uh, Barker. You got that right. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a funny funny poem about a cowboy. You know, we all make mistakes. It's that spur of the moment thing where you think, what could go wrong? And you you go out and rope a bear, and then you think, okay, now I know. <laughs> Uh, gosh. Well, for any of you bear roping buckaroos out there, it's it's kind of funny. Um, they just had a bear that that they uncovered in a uh, or discovered. They didn't uncover him. They discovered him in a in a uh, pipeline up at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and uh, and they had to rope that bear to get him out. Oh. So. <laughs> So for all you bear roping buckaroos out there, this is one from Terry Nash, and we'll be back in just a moment. Now, roping bears, says Uncle Sid, is sure a heap of fun, and a lot more gizzard thrilling than to shoot him with a gun. I roped a big old he one time when I was young and raw. He must have weighed 500 pounds, and monstrous was his paw. He'd wandered out on the flats for cow chip bugs and such, and them grubs and worms, they suit a bear like pretzels suit the Dutch. I pert near didn't catch him, for a bear can split the breeze. And your pony's got to wiggle if he beats him to the trees. But the roan that I was riding, he was tough and mighty fleet. 
He overhauled old Bruin, and my loop was quick and neat. It catched him snug around the neck, and when he hit the end, I heard the cinches stretching, and I felt the saddle bend. My pony put the brakes on, till he sure enough plowed the ground, and it sure made me sorry that there weren't no crowd around to watch a salty hand like me demonstrate my skill at learning Mr. Bruin to obey my wish and will. Come on, old bar, I bellered, here a wild and woolly scamp, but I'm the apparatus that can lead you into camp. At first, I feared the rope would bust. I'd lose him if it should, and about a minute later, boys, I wished to hell it would. That bear reared up and popped his teeth, so was like a pistol crack, then grabbed my rope hand over hand and come right up the slack. I gave a squall and swung my hat to slap him in the eyes, but a he-bear ain't a critter that's easy to surprise. My pony tried to quit me, but he had a barren toe, and a clinging to the saddle was a load he couldn't throw. He got a straddle of the rope, a log, a bush, a bear. He wallered on his haunches, and he pawed the upper air. Old Bruin's jaws and paws and claws, they put near had me scunned. My rope was anchored to the horn and wouldn't come undone. It seems like we fought for hours, and I couldn't see no hope when Bruin bit my twine in two and quit us on the lope. Now, roping bears, says Uncle Sid, is sure a heap of fun. At least I've heard folks claim it is. I never roped but one. It ain't no special trick at all to snag one in your noose. The catch is mighty simple. It's hell to turn him loose. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I know where I wish I was this weekend, and that's in Golden, Colorado, for the Colorado. There's going to be some good fun had. Yeah, yeah. So Terry will be performing along with a lot of our other friends out there this weekend. And um, uh, where are you you headed next? Um, I'll be at the Lone Star Cowboy Poetry Gathering. It's in Alpine, Texas. It's the first year for the Lone Star Gathering. Uh, They kind of took over right there where uh, the Texas Cowboy Poetry Gathering gave up last year. Yeah. So I'm excited about helping them kick off their their next gathering, or their first one, I guess. That should be exciting and a, and a great time. And then uh, I think you mentioned that you're going to be at Kamloops up in Canada. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to learn a foreign language up there, I guess. But <laughs> I haven't been to Canada in so long. But, but uh, yeah, anyhow, yeah, I'm really excited about going to Kamloops. I will be meeting a lot of people I had never met before up there and and taking my stuff to a, to a new area, and so I'm really jazzed about that. Well, we've got a good audience that listens in Canada, so you want to be sure and try to make that and uh, and meet and hear Terry Nash performing at Kamloops. Uh, for the folks that are listening today that they would love to pick up this great CD, where can they do that? Um, well, the best place to do it is uh, probably through CD Baby or iTunes, or you can just send me a private message on Facebook and, and you and I'll get together and, and uh, I can take care of all your Christmas shopping problems right now. There you go. <laughs> there you go. And what's your website? Website is uh, terrynashcowboypoet.com. All right. So visit terrynashcowboypoet.com 
and you can find out what his schedule is there and be sure and catch Terry wherever he might be performing in Colorado or Texas or Canada. And uh, Terry, you have been a lot of fun. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Well, thank you, Gary. I, can I just put in a plug for my own gathering? We have you can. the Western oh, yes. Slope. Yes. Yeah. We have the Western Slope Cowboy Gathering in Grand Junction, Colorado, first weekend of every November. And uh, it's it's almost as big as this Golden Gathering. We'll have about 12 performers, and, and it's always a big time out there. So love to have folks come and see us in November. That's great. And you do that with Peggy Malone, don't you? Peggy Malone, Floyd and Valerie Beard. Yeah, we're going to have the Cowboy Way this next coming. Oh, wow. Great. So, yeah, that's going to be it. Oh, yeah, it'll be marvelous. That'll be great. Well, Terry, thanks again for being with us. And we're going to close out this segment of the show right now with a great poem that you did called The Pensioner. And, again, this is from the CD, A Good Ride. Terry, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you, Gary and Bobby. It's been a lot of fun. The sun rays that shine through the window reveal dust motes that float in the air. He stares through the glass and his lips move as if whispering to memories out there. He sits as erect in his wheelchair as he'd sat on a horse in his prime. But dang tremors that rule his life now make him cuss at the passing of time. He fingers the brim of the Stetson that rests upside down on his lap, while eyeing mementos he keeps here, remembers a horse called Old Hap. That McCarty that hangs near the doorway he had woven with hair from Hap's tail, and used it on colts since the bad wreck that had caused the good Dunn's health to fail. He no longer strums the old guitar in the corner there, kept in its case, but looks at the pick in his hat band and a smile appears over his face. He'd brought that guitar to the meadow where he met with the girl he would wed and sang her the love song he'd written. He can still hear their song in his head. They'd married before he got drafted. He'd saved up and bought her a ring. She never complained about the limp that he brought home from Korea that spring. The old purple heart's in the desk drawer in a small case he seldom looks at. Some memories it's best to keep private walked away there neath his old hat. This new feller coming to see him brings a welcome relief to his day. They'll talk about horses and cattle, about history, putting up hay. He comes to this room just to visit, brings no orders to swallow his meds, respects a man's dignity always, and just offers up friendship instead. His gaze wanders back to the window as he checks on the weather once more. On good days, his part likes to wheel him to the courtyard to visit outdoors. The trembling hands cradle the Stetson, but decorum and habit dictate he'll not put it on till it's proper, so for now he's content just to wait. He closes his eyes for a moment and dreams of the ranch in the fall, and then wakes with a start to the friendly sound of those boot heels out in the hall. Well, it's time now for Saddle Up America on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. And when we come back, we'll be talking with Trina Morris with Trina Morris Horsemanship on Saddle Up America. 
with Trina Morris Horsemanship. How are you doing, Trina? Uh, I'm doing fine. The sun is shining and we have no snow, so I'm in a good mood. 
good. Well, it's snowing in Albuquerque where Bobby is, so maybe maybe it's headed your way. Maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> no, it, it can stay south. It's good. Just go across the south. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gosh. So last time you were on the show was about a year ago, and uh, we learned so much about you that we didn't know. For example, (laughs) we learned you were a ballerina, and then we learned that you spent time in New Zealand and Australia, and uh, uh, just a talented gal. But what's been going on with you this past year? Um, well, I stayed pretty busy doing the clinics all across North America and, um, picked up some colts to start. So, uh, this winter has been a, a balancing act of riding colts when it's not minus 10 or something to that degree. Um, and, uh, I just kept myself busy doing my thing, I guess. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, gosh. Well, you certainly are a busy girl because you have clinics that are all over the country. And uh, and I looked at your clinic schedule that's coming up for 2020, and you're just traveling all over the place, aren't you? Yeah, I'm actually excited. I um, added a clinic in Wisconsin, which I've never been there before. So hopefully, I, besides a good clinic, I'll find some good cheese. And uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> another... Another new clinic uh, in Benson, North Carolina, and I also added a private clinic in Junction, Texas. So um, I figured maybe I would slow down, but that's not happening. I'm just excited to go to more places. Well, that is pretty cool. And and you have a tremendous following of people that travel not only for one clinic, but they just keep coming back to see you every every time you're in the area, aren't they? Um. It could be the entertainment value or the horsemanship. I'm not quite sure yet, but um, <laughs> I'll take it any way I can get it. Um, but I am actually, I'm very blessed that uh, the students that I have are, they do travel to a lot of places. And um, a lot of them last year actually flew to different places. They had met um, friends along the way, and they would go to a clinic there and borrow a horse and ride in the clinics. Um so it's really quite fascinating to see um, when you open the door and people are interested in, in learning more, just how out of their comfort zone they'll get to learn more. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wonder when I see all of these people whether they're coming for the entertainment of the horsemanship. So um, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure it's a little bit of both. I'm sure it's a little uh, bit of both. Well, I definitely try to make it a little bit of both. Um, but I know, I know the horsemanship part is, is sinking in or taking a hold because I always say in the clinics that it's not what I can do. It's what I can help you do. And, um, I have a, a, she's a a client, but she's also become a dear friend of mine. And, um, last year she did, uh, it's a called a Texas trail challenge. And, um, she did, I think it was, uh, nine different rides she ended up doing it on three different horses and did something like over 90 miles of this trail competition and she ended up getting seven wins on that which was the overall high point and she got a big old fancy buckle and um wow it was 
it was a cool testament so that you know what I'm doing is maybe down the right track. Yeah, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about uh, not the entertainment value, but the horsemanship for just a minute. <laughs> so, okay. when people, when people, well, just for a minute, <laughs> just for a minute. <laughs> When people come to a Trina Morris horsemanship clinic, what are they going to be learning? What will they experience? Uh, okay, you said be serious. Um, to be so serious. <laughs> honestly, they're probably going to learn the most about themselves. Um, they're they're going to learn a lot about their horse and how it operates and why it does the things it does. Um, but they're probably honestly going to find out that it's about them and they'll find their desire to, to learn more about the horse and become a better partner with it. Um, and it, it doesn't matter what discipline you are, whether you're an English, a jumper, a dressage, or Western, you do cutting, reining, or, you know, you just like to saddle your horse up and go for a ride. Um, one of the things I truly try to make sure you go home with is a sense of, safety that you understand how your horse operates and how you can keep yourself out of trouble. Do do you find that when <laughs> folks come to your clinic for most most part that you're actually teaching the person more than you are a horse? Um it just depends on the people, in all honesty, it truly depends. If I help the horse, I've helped the rider and if I help the rider, then I've helped the horse. So some people maybe they understand it a little clearer or they've been around me a little bit more so then they'd be working maybe more on their horse than themselves where a new person never heard me they kind of sound like they'll tell me I sound like Chinese they've never heard some of the things and so for them a lot of it would, for them a lot of the time it's just hearing it and seeing it and and seeing what it's about and feeling the differences in your horses and um it can it can be overwhelming your first time um, because there's just so much happening. And so that's another reason I like to keep it kind of light and entertaining. Now you, you do different types of clinics depending upon what part of the country you're in, I guess, or whatever the demand is, but, but what are the different types of clinics, the different disciplines that you work with? Um, I, I do a generality as in I do someplace I do a colt starting clinic and then a horsemanship and a cow working clinics. But, um, and it, it depends on the area. You're hundred percent right. When I go to uh, Washington, a lot of the people are English riders. And so we, they work on, they want to work on some other things as in maybe they want to lean it towards jumping or some more dressage. Other places I go, there's could be a, I was in Kentucky and there was, um, three or four people wanted to tune up their reining. So we worked on some reining ideas. But generally speaking, the things that I did with the reining people were the things that I did with the English people as well. I just had to change what frame of mind I was talking to um, to get them to understand their horses. So, And then Kentucky didn't have a colt starting class, and I just started a colt with a little gal, Kylie. She was a great little kid, and me and her started a colt during the horsemanship um, right within the horsemanship class. So, you know, it's kind of, uh, I couldn't really tell you an exacting thing. It changes every clinic. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about the cult starting. So what, what is your process when you start a cult? 
Um, well, it really depends on where the cult is. <laughs> but, <laughs> that's, a lo- that's, like a, that's a loaded question. Well, that's um, a loaded question, yeah. Also, it is a loaded question because I think a lot of people, they want a recipe for something, right? They want to go, if I do A, B, C, D, then that gets me to E. And right. it, it truly does depend on Right, it truly does depend on the cult because, um, you know, I just used Kentucky. The the little gal had never seen me before, but some of her friends had said to come, so she did. And she had a little coming two-year-old, and she's a tiny little gal, and the two-year-old was pretty good size. And mm-hmm. um, so it the horse just mentally rolled with it, and he was the little horse was good to go. So I said to her, "Well, step up on it, and you can, you know, we'll go for a little ride. You don't have to do much, but go for a little ride." And um, the colt was fine with it, but you might go somewhere else. I was in near Edmonton, Alberta, and somebody brought a colt to start, and it was the second afternoon, and I was like, yeah, I don't think it's good for you to ride yet. You know, so it it just depends on the mentality of the the rider and the horse, whether they can handle both ideas and and carry on with it. Um, Or sometimes somebody brings me a colt, maybe they just had a little bit of trouble with, and so doesn't take much and then they can join in the horsemanship class or um the i've had them where they go right and they can ride in the cow working um in alberta there's a little gal named sammy and uh, she brought a five-year-old mare to start and the, by the end of the class she was not only started it she was riding in the cow working and was beating some of the people on saddle horses wow wow so it's but... right it just yeah are you are you <laughs> Do you spend more time um, – well, let me ask this question. <clears throat> How many people normally come to one of your clinics? Let me let me back up. How many folks would would come to one of your clinics? Uh, it depends. Probably an average, uh, average 15 people in a class. Some okay. clinics are bigger. Some clinics are little. Texas is a huge clinic. In Texas, they like everything big. So, <laughs> I go – I go to Texas and it's three days and it's in a huge arena and there's over 20 people in each class and they all have a ball. All right. All right. Well, the reason I was <laughs> asking that question is because when, when you go to one of your clinics, are you spending uh, more time uh, teaching a class of people or do you get to spend one-on-one time with folks or does it make any difference how large the class is? Um, it really it doesn't really make a difference how large the class is. Um, to me, I, I'm really a hands-on person. So if there's 20 people in the class or there's five people in the class, I still make it to your horse and I touch your horse and help you. And you'll get some kind of a one-on-one with me as well as group things. Because I believe that if you had just straight one-on-one for the time of the clinic, your horse and you wouldn't get as good of exposure if you have to do some group things as well where you have to work with other people and other horses and do some things together. Um, I think that's the best way for people to learn is they can do some stuff on their own, but then they have to do some things together so that they got to learn teamwork. Okay. All right. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. So that helps you a lot, right? (laughs) It does. Well, it does really, you know, you know, so many times we're working with a horse and it's just me and the horse, but there are other times when we're out with a group of people and being able to learn how to work as a team quite often will help. And um, so, yeah, that uh, that does make sense. 
that does make sense. So where are you headed first this year? I start in Texas. That's where I left my hat. So really, I had to make sure. The, <laughs> yeah, I had to make sure the first clinic was in Texas because it's the last clinic as well. Oh <laughs> uh, gosh, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, I, I left my hat in Texas, so I gotta go back for it. That sounds like that could be that. That could be that a song, song. Kind of right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Exactly. That, the fellow that was on earlier, Terry Nash, I can train Terry him. Nash? I'll him some poetry. I'll give him some t- uh, poetry terms, and then I'll teach him some foreign language, too. There you go. You know, yesterday, yesterday was National Hat Day. We should have had this conversation yesterday. Dang, <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. So where in Texas would you be? Um, I'll be in Giddings, Texas, which is uh, southeast of Austin. Um, I only know that because I fly into Austin, and then somebody comes and picks me up. Well, the other so, thing that's interesting about you is that you don't take your own horse to these clinics. You fly everywhere and actually work with horses that are there. So uh, I found that to be pretty interesting. A lot of clinicians work with their own horse, and that horse is already trained to death. But but you don't do that, do you? Um, no, I, I guess the term is if I practice what I preach, then I ought to be able to do something with a horse at a clinic than, um, you know, bring my own. Um, I'm not saying that it's, it's bad if you brought your own or if I, you know, had my own there, but I believe that people really like to see the process of how the horse changes and becomes my partner. Um, and so I can get a job done on it. The people really do like watching that. Um, cause I do think sometimes if you have a horse and it does it all, or it's pretty good, they wonder how it got there. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so if I yeah. work the horse, you know, if I work the horse and get it to do some things and then um, I just, I was on a horse, a gal had a reining horse and uh, she said it had trouble getting near other horses. And so I rode her horse and worked some horses, a horseback from it. And then that got it over being nervous about other horses and it had a job to do. And I didn't know the horse, but it became my partner by the end of the day and I wanted to take it home. Wow. Wow. That's pretty cool so. that you find some that you want to take home. So. I I usually want to take them all home after I've rode them. I'm, you know, it's not, it's not uh, okay. good. But, yeah, but that's kind of, you know, of course, I like all horses. If I could have them all at my house, I probably would. But um, I think that people really, that process of seeing, because they might not think their horse could do that, you know, like the lady that said her horse was scared of other horses. And I said, well, I'll get it so I can work some horses from it. And she was like, oh, hell no. And I'm like, oh, hell yes, just watch. (laughs) But I got a lot more faith in the horse than I do, I think, what a lot of other people do. So yeah, I I never believe it can't do it, right? I don't believe it can't do it. So as soon as I touch it or work it or whatever I'm around it, then I just think it can do it. And for people, I believe the same thing, but the person has a bigger hang-up. The horse is easy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, most of, most of the clinicians that I've talked with usually say the problems come more with the people than they do with the horses. And uh, if you can get through to the people, then then the horses kind of pick things up that way. So which is a mm-hmm. pretty cool 
pretty cool deal. And I find that I have more trouble with people than I do horses too. So <laughs> <laughs> that could be that could be why there's four four dogs sitting in my truck with me and no people, right? <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh, it could be. It could be. Tina, you oh, have you have such a joy. You know what? You have such a joy for living, and for sharing. And it just comes through any photo of you. It comes through your voice as we're chatting today. What what is the wellspring of your joy? How how do you stay joyous every day? Uh, I don't have a choice. I guess. <laughs> Uh, but, well, I don't mean, I, I just mean it like, you know, everybody has a choice, right? You always have a choice of something. Right. Um, and so I kind of try to not give myself a choice there. When you wake up in the morning, it's just, it's going to be a good day. Why worry about what it might not be? Just be a good day. And if there's a, uh, you know, I get to work the horses, then that's an even better day. And if I can get somebody to understand something, so then the horse makes a better deal, um, you know, then that's even better. But uh, I've had my fair share of not fun things in my life. And I've just chosen to not rely on those or, or um, bring them with me. They were there for a reason to teach me something. And then I just try and keep going forward because there's way more things to see being I'm being I'm sitting in a truck, your rear view window, your rear view mirror is a lot smaller than your windshield, right? Amen. Amen. Amen to that. <laughs> There's lots to see looking forward than there is to see in that rear view mirror. So, you know, I just, I try and be that way. And, and I have some really good friends that if I start to, to not be so joyous, as you say, <laughs> they're pretty quick to, to tune me up on that opportunity. So, um, I, I'm, I'm blessed. I guess I'm just, I'm blessed with good people in my life, good horses in my life. And I'll just take it one day at a time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> talk to us a little bit about, talk to us a little bit about the inner cowgirl. What's, what is that all about? Well, that originally started as a blog I did because some people said that they like to hear my stories, if you can imagine that. I and, can't uh, imagine so, that. Right? So I started yeah. it, and then when I – I've done clinics. Um, I had a friend of mine figure it out, and she said that this is the 21st year I've done clinics. Wow. Um, so I'm in, I'm in the new decade, and I'm the 21st, so, like, you know, now I'm old enough to drink. Um, but, but I the, the the blog kind of just rolled over, and then I kind of helped make it part of the clinics. Um, and then, but your inner cowgirl, you know, I think everybody could have their inner cowgirl. Where, um, like Bobby said, she said you could see it in the pictures or hear it in my voice, and I think everybody has that peace inside them. There's a greatness inside them that they could bring out, but. Um, they have to be willing to do things they never done or go places they never been or say things they've, you know, never said before to, to find that inner cowgirl. And, um, I think you'd be surprised how many people I meet that their inner cowgirl is pretty dang crazy. Hmm. 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 I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking for those crazy cowgirls myself. But, uh, 
Listen, I can I can line you up, okay? You you got to come to a couple clinics. I'll line you up every night. You'll be busy. <laughs> I, okay. I have a dear friend. I have a dear friend who uses the term. Uh, she'll we'll be chatting and she'll say, you know what? You've got cowgirl karma going on today. And um, I guess that's sort of the term that I use for my 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 inner my inner spirit of wanting to be a cowgirl <laughs> is uh, oh, having hey. good cowgirl karma. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, to me, a cowgirl a cowgirl might not even own a horse. Yeah. See, to me, yeah, a cowgirl, it, it, there's a lot of things go with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and we want to pick up. We want to take a real quick break and uh, come back and talk more with Miss Trina Morris about the things that she has going on. But right now, let's listen to a song from the High Country Cowboys. We were just talking about them a minute ago. And this is a song called Cowboys. The skies are dark and gray. For a week now it's been raining every day And the Kansas City kid Is on the couch still trying to rope a stray Well he's Crockett and he's Custer And he's Hickok's right hand man He's trying to tame the West The mom don't seem to understand She's told him to get her ready Cause it's more than time for bed And how he wishes he was free Cause he was simply born to be A cowboy A steed He rides the range On a saddle that has seen its better days And Coyote calls They sing the sun to rest as evening falls Well, make a pot of coffee, boy So strong you taste the grain Stretch out on your blanket As he clears his throat to sing Keep your eyes upon him With his Gary Cooper grin It doesn't take much sense to see That he was simply born to be a cow Concrete cities fencing in Can't win them all But he'll be on his feet again He'll write his fantasies till then Don't he take after me He was simply born to be A cow Dark and gray For a week now It's been raining every day But the Kansas City kid Is all tucked in And dreaming of the rain A cow A cow 
the High Country Cowboys and their great song, Cowboy. And we are talking with the cowgirl, Miss Trina Marsh, today on Saddle Up America. And Trina has so much stuff going on, it's kind of hard to decide what to talk about when we're talking with her because uh, she's one of the busiest people that I know. Always, always has something going on from remodeling to cooking to ranch clinics. and So let's talk a little bit about your ranch clinic for 2019. Tell us about what you had going on. Oh, dang. Well, that was... um. That was actually a really good clinic. We uh, we started, I think, eight head of colts. And so um, one of the fun things about that was I have people come from all across North America. So they, um, from California to Ohio, Pennsylvania, from Texas to the northern part of Alberta, Canada. Um, and they all come, and a lot of them bring their horses. A few that travel a long, long ways, they, they fly in. And so I, I let them use one of my horses. Um, but the cool thing about that was this year, everybody had to work a colt. So sometimes they come to the ranch clinic and they think it's just about them and their horse and what they're going to learn out of it. And, uh, this year they, they really had to step out of their box because, um, they worked some colts and then some of them had to lead a colt up. I built some, uh, obstacle courses because everybody seems to be doing the obstacle challenge stuff. So I built a few little things to go over I guess you could say and uh-huh. everybody had to everybody had to lead a colt up to that little obstacle place and then they had to get the colt to go over all the obstacles uh, by lead, staying on their horse riding their horse and then get the horse to go over those obstacles so they didn't have to just take care of one horse they had to take care of two horses um, wow. and uh, it was really good watching to see the people that um you know, put I'm not, I'm not bad mouthing or discouraging anybody, but it's very interesting to watch those that put a lot of effort into some things, and then maybe not so much effort into something else. Uh, you could tell what the people really like to do on their horses, because then they really wanted that colt to do that obstacle too. But if they weren't shiny on a certain obstacle, they just kind of give it a half go, and then pass the colt off to somebody else in hopes that they would get it good at that obstacle. Um, but it's interesting watching and how people supported each other. You know, some people didn't have a cult at a moment in time, so they might go, you know, stand next to somebody or, or help them or help the horse. And so it was very interesting to me to watch when I added another level of difficulty to the clinic, how people really just stepped up and kind of dived in. And um, I had to, uh, she's my clinic host from Edmonton, and she had just had a little baby, I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks before my ranch clinic, and she came wow. down for just a, just a couple of days. She could only make it, but she came down. She wasn't going to miss it, and uh, I asked her if she was all right, and she goes, yeah, I'm good to go, and so she just having a baby uh, rode one of my colts for me and did a bang-up job on it for just having her own kid there, so it always amazes me when I see the try in people, and if you can just encourage that a little bit how it really turns into a snowball effect. And that's one of the fun things about my ranch clinic is uh, how great everybody gets along. And I cook them breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then I ride with them. And then in the evenings, there's lots of fun things can happen. A friend of mine built me the cornhole deal. So people have championship cornhole happening at my place in the summer. And uh, we, we learned this year that you can actually float the, the Platte River 
only 15 minutes from my house, which I've lived here 20 some years and never knew that. So wow. a lot of the people are getting, yeah, there are a lot of the people are getting excited for 2020 and want to come early so they can float the river. So see, Bobby, it's not about me at all. See, it's about yeah. floating the river, having yeah, fun. Oh, okay. Floating the river. That sounds like a good goal for this year. Come float the river. <laughs> right. So, so about when does this take place and, and for how many days? Um, for 2020, it's the first two weeks of August. Uh, I think it's August 3rd to the 12th, but don't hold me to that. Um, and it's uh, 10 days long. And um, my brother and a good friend of mine comes. They're horseshoers. And so they do a talk on horseshoeing as well. And then I have the, the tooth fairy, the dentist, come. And she does people's teeth, if, the horse's teeth if they want. And she does a talk as well. And uh, I'm blessed to have some vets that ride with me, and so they also do a, a talk during the clinic. So it's a very informative. Not only are you there to have fun and learn from me, but you learn from a whole bunch of other people as well. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, uh, the people that attend this 10-day clinic are folks that have been in your clinics previously, and is it by invitation? Yeah, it's by invitation, um, and you have to have rode with me because it can. If you think that I talk Chinese in a public clinic, if you've never seen me, then if you, if you get to the ranch clinic, you're gonna have to mother up to somebody to understand because usually it's even maybe more Chinese during the ranch clinic. Oh god. Um, so that. Well, and it's at my house, so then I'm a, I'm a little more laid back and even goofier than I am at a public clinic. So, um, you know, you got to be in the right frame of mind to handle that for 10 days. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I remember we were talking about Trinity Seeley came and performed at one of your clinics, and uh, she was just amazed at everything that you did, and you, and you cook all these meals for everybody and uh, conduct the clinics and do everything else. But I think she wrote a song for you, didn't she? Um, yeah, she did, She, uh, which floored me because, um, uh, yeah, she did. <laughs> I said to her she needs to do a new song because I'm even sillier now. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, it was – I'm trying to make it easier, though. Last year, I had a little horse. His name's Ollie, a little gray horse. And uh, I, nobody captured it on video because we were all too interested. But I got off of him, and I had um, just the reins around the horn, and I had gone to help somebody with their horse. And um, he ended up working the, whor the cow. We were doing cow working, and the cow went to come and get in the corner. And he actually worked the cow on his own. So. Oh, wow. Next year, wow. next year maybe he can just take the people out and show them what to do, and I'll just stay in. <laughs> but uh, he's just a he's a little, little tiny gray horse, and he doesn't know how little he is. So he was eating them cows, and oh yeah, he's it, it was quite the quite the fun to watch. But those are the kind of things that happen at a ranch clinic. Is you can take a lot of time maybe um, to do other things because there's no time limit on it. You know, at a public clinic, I usually run from 9 in the morning till say, 5 at night, but some people will tell you that I'll go into the night as well. Um, but the ranch clinic, we can kind of do whatever we want for as long as we want, because it's my place, and 
um, there's lots to do. And you can do what so. you want to. Yeah. Yeah. So let's yeah, see. I like, think. I was just going to say, I, I think you're going to give something away in just a little bit. Well, well I'm going to do it at the end of the show it, or at the end there. Anybody that was watching, if they went to my Facebook page, my personal one, um, and commented on listening to the show, then their their names are all going to go in a hat, and I'm going to draw for something special. I don't know yet. All right. It's going to be something So that'd cool, be though. cool. <laughs> so, so if you're listening. Yeah, I think I'd go ahead and have a Go to Katrina Morris's page, and uh, and make a comment, and uh, and she's going to draw and give you away something, and whatever she gives you, it's going to be something. a it's going to be a good deal. So you right? want to make sure to something. going to be something. It's going to be something. <laughs> and I I think you mentioned something about you were were doing a drawing uh, uh, or an auction for a colt. Uh, yeah, this year a friend of mine came up with a brilliant idea, and um, <laughs> so I have a up-and-coming uh, AQHA and APHA registered uh, gelding. He's coming two-year-old, and I'm going to auction or, well, I guess raffle him off. You can buy tickets throughout the year at the clinic. That's the only place you'll be able to buy them. Um, so you got to come see me or come ride in a clinic, and then you can purchase a ticket for the little guy and it's a flashy it's a dark brown with a bald face and three white socks and he's bred to do whatever you want cutting roping i don't know it's a handy little thing um and at the last clinic in getting texas i think it's november 22nd we're gonna draw for that colt so if you if you want you a nice colt that come off the hat creek ranch then you can get yourself to a clinic and get involved all right, so be sure and check Trina's uh, website and find out whether she's going to be in your area so you can make it to one of her clinics or just fly into one of her clinics and you'll have a ball. Okay. But, uh, yeah, but uh, yeah. but you want to buy a raffle ticket for this cold, and, uh, and then in November the winner will be announced. So I think that's pretty cool. A, a Trina Morris yeah. trained cold. That's, that's pretty stinking cool. Pretty stinking cool. <laughs> Well, I hope so. Yeah. I wanted to ask and, and extend my sympathy to you and Bobby as well uh, for the loss of your dad this year, this past year. And um, I, I know from visiting before, he was a great influence on your life growing up. Uh, but you want to you wanna tell us a little bit about your dad's horsemanship and, and uh, how he influenced where you are today? Yeah, um thank you for your your words. Um he was uh he was a great influence not just in the horses but of course in life itself and uh when Bobby asked me about the joy when we were raised, you know, we didn't have a lot of money and things like that, but you didn't know it cuz my dad was always positive or fun or if you had 20 bucks then it was the best 20 bucks you had. And um in the horse aspect of it, he never said he was an outfitter and a guide. Oh Lord. Since the early sixties. And, um, he tells stories of, you know, moving horses, hundreds of head of horses, 75 miles from one place to another. And, um, just all these great stories that he used to tell. And then 
that always kept me involved in the horses or wanting to do more. And I can remember um, wanting to ride English horses, you know, English, get an English saddle, jumping horses. And my dad right. shook his head because he's a cowboy. You know, he's a cowboy and he kind of looked like Grizzly Adams. He had a big old beard and lots of hair. And, um, you know, he was on the front cover of USA Today just looking like Grizzly Adams. So, um <laughs> To have a daughter want to do English and jumping, that was kind of, she looked at that like I was, asked if I was crazy, I think. Um, but no, nonetheless, he he put the stock racks in the back of the truck and he jumped some big $500 thoroughbred we bought off the track that couldn't run. And uh, away we went. And it was good watching most of the time. Um, and uh, it's... Uh, but he taught me so many more things than just that. You know, there's so many things. There's, I used to have to pack horses with them up into the Kananaskis Valley. And uh, so, you know, I learned how to pack, lead pack strings. And he was a shoer as well. That's where my brother got it from. So all us kids can, you know, shoe or trim a horse or balance their foot at least, I should hope. And uh, he also drove teams. So I have a team at my ranch. There's Bert and Ernie. And um, <laughs> this this year, <laughs> this year, what I did, uh, there's kids that live at my place and they have a little boy and he's just coming too. And so I had a friend of mine dress up as Santa Claus and then I harnessed up old Bert and, uh, donned a elf costume and I brought Santa Claus to the kid and uh, on my wagon with my workhorse. And, um, that'd be right out of a post-it note that my dad would do. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's something that it's a he might be gone physically, but he's in my life every day. And um if you didn't ever get to know him, you know, you see it in me through me. Um but if you did get to meet him, it was a special something. He always left you with a smile on your face and so you know, maybe when you ask me things about my dad that Christmas this what happened at Christmas, that was probably one of the best ways I could honor him. Gotcha. I got you. Well, and I saw those photographs of you in your elf costume and the and the team of horses and Santa Claus, and uh, it looked uh-huh. like you were having a lot of fun. Yeah, it looked like you were having a lot. You always have a lot of fun. You always have a lot of fun. I think but, so. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> well, yeah. listen, it's not always just me, though. I mean, when I asked my friend, I sent my friend a text message that said, will you be Santa Claus? And all I got was, okay. I didn't ask why, when, where, or what. All I got was, okay. And to me, that shows you that's what's right. I mean, that's a true friend. They didn't know whether they were going to have to be Santa Claus in a, a, a bathing suit or Santa Claus for real or what the hell was going on. But they just said yes. So that's one of the reasons I can have fun because I have some of the coolest friends, I think, around. Well, I think you do. I think you do. Well, you're a pretty cool gal, and uh, her clinics are something that you'll definitely want to attend. And again, let me remind you to go. Is it trinamorris.com or what, what's the website? Yeah, you, well, it's trinamorrishorsemanship.com, or you can still get there through your inner cowgirl.com. I kept okay. both of them. Um, and I actually just revamped my website, so. I would love to hear what people have to say, whether they like it or they don't like it. <laughs> well, uh, and that's the way that you learn and grow, isn't it? By hearing oh, genuine. Yeah. Heck, I'm all yeah. 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 
Yeah. So I, I'm anyway, all for it. That's the only way. That's the only way you get better, right? Is that's right. yourself up. That's right. Um, well, I'm going to try to make your Linville, Tennessee clinic. I think, and I don't have it in front of me, but I think that's sometime in May. So we're going to try to make it down there and and uh, and see the entertaining yeah. Miss Trina Morris and sit in on one of her clinics as well. So that'd be a lot of fun. Well, well remember, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, make it to that Linville Clinic. That is a pretty amazing place, and they have um, an obstacle course, and they feed you there, and you can stay right on the property. They have apartments and stuff like that. Um, it's a super nice place. I mean, you're you're hitting the, the top dog of places when you're going to come there for a clinic. You better bring your horse. <laughs> I'll have to get Sierra ready to go. But uh, anyway... Well, you are always so much fun to visit with, and uh, again, be sure and leave a comment on her Facebook page if you listen to the show today, and uh, you'll be in the drawing for some good something, whatever it is, and uh, uh, also be sure and attend a clinic so you can buy a raffle ticket for that colt that she'll give away in November down in Texas, so that ought to be a lot of fun. So, Trina, any, any other thoughts that you want to leave us with today? Well, before I get in trouble, I was supposed to do a shout-out to Robbie in Texas. So there we go. Let's hope that she was listening. <laughs> um, she got her shout-out. All right. And uh, she's just as goofy as I am. But um, I, I I, don't know. I just hope people had a fun time listening to us visit. And I sure do look forward to meeting, hopefully, both of you in Linville, Tennessee. And... Um, I hope I earned the privilege of your time. Well, we certainly appreciate you being here. I don't think Bobby will come from Albuquerque to Linville, Tennessee, but I'm certainly going to try it's to make it that. It's a plane ride, Bobby. But I would love. I would love to meet you. I would love to just hang around the ranch with you. <laughs> oh well, then fly to Wyoming, ten four. There you go. There you go. There you go. Trina, thank you so much, and we look forward to having you back again. You're just a great host. (laughs) No, the thanks is all for you guys. I truly appreciate you guys uh, wanting to to visit with me. I think that's the best. Well, we'll talk to you soon. Maybe we'll see you in Linville. And right now we're going to listen to another great song from Miss Carolyn Martin. It's called Wild West Texas Wind. We'll be right back.
show today talking with Terry Nash and and then with Trina Morris. <laughs> Just too much fun. Too much too fun. Much Somebody fun. should be writing a, I know Trinity did the song about her, but I think she needs to have a poem about her too. <laughs> well, probably so. Probably so. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Anyway, be a lot a lot of fun today and um glad to have you back this week. Do you have any closing thoughts for us today? Well, actually, I do, and it's right off of Trina's um, Facebook page. I thought this was so great. Right in her banner, start each day with a cup of goodwill, a spoonful of joy, and a splash of patience. I thought that that was a really good – that's a good recipe. That is a good recipe. Well, listen, we want to thank you for listening to – around the world to Equestrian Legacy Radio's Campfire Cafe and Saddle Up America will be back next Thursday beginning at noon Central Standard Time and remind you you can always go back and listen to these shows in an archive podcast at equestrianlegacy.net we're going to close things out today with a great song from Wiley and the Wild West it's called Road to Narvacan Bobby we'll talk to you later my friend alrighty
in the ocean breeze Tangerine sun rises to greet me On the road to Narvacan Across the oceans I've come to see The raven angel who waits for me I know she's praying for me now On the road to Narvacan Love has taken me to this strange place Unexpected and unknown So I'll just follow my heart On the road to Nabucodon Faster on the road to Narvacan. 